today is George Ariri from the Shared Practices Podcast. George requested we uh, go right, we go do right to it. you guys normally do a lot of pre-work for your guests no. before you get on? I do. No, I all- do literally no pre-work unless it's somebody like very, like if they've written a book, I try to read the book. Um, but beyond that, no, I always like a spontaneous conversation for me. So Richard and I both have had different, you know, we've evolved. So we've been doing this for, I'm coming up on five years. And I think that over the years, what we found is we sometimes have our best conversations before we hit record. Oh no, me too. hundred percent. And 100%. so it's like, I think it's funny that, you know, in the dental influencer world, we have like this elevated sense of importance sometimes where we live in our own echo chamber of just our audience and sort of the people that communicate and listen to our show. And we don't always have time to like go listen to other dental podcasts. And I personally, I haven't listened to Bulletproof. I mean, and you guys probably haven't listened Neither to us. Neither have I. No, yeah. I've listened to your stuff, George. Uh, oh, I really? Just come out. Yeah, yeah, because... Um, no, yeah, I was saying I, I haven't listened good to Bulletproof content. yet. Craig, Craig doesn't even listen to ours. So, yeah. um, but no, I crave good content and I think it was rare. Honestly, that was the thesis for why I started Bulletproof a long time ago. Because I was like, God, I'm just, I'm not getting, not hearing what I think is, is applicable right now in the dental space. So I guess I'll start a podcast kind of thing. And that was, you know, that was in 2016. So probably around the same time you decided to do it, right? Yeah. So Richard Lowe founded our podcast in August of 2016. So he went to the first VOD and then I think right after that, he got the kick to do it himself. Yeah. And I hated dental podcasts. And so he was overwhelmed and I was like, you know what? Like I'd love the opportunity to make a show that I'd listen to. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like we kind of had the same thesis and I thought I find that really odd. And one thing that I've heard from our listeners is our show and your show is sort of the two that I hear over and over again as the ones that provide good information for you, you guys are more that, George. Owners. Are you just saying that? Just no, saying... this is why I reached out with respect. <laughs> all right, all <laughs> I mean, right. you, you got to think about how this episode started for me. So one of our interns comes to me and goes, dude, they're talking shit about you on the Bulletproof podcast. Mm. And I'm like, what? No, 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 no. Like this has happened. There's been a hate episode about me before and I've never reached out to the person because I never wanted to give them the light of day. And I was like, I've heard the Bulletproof guys are cool. Send me the link. And so then he sends me the link and sends me the timestamp. And I listen to it. And I'm like, I don't think they're talking about me, but maybe they are. And so then I just reached out to Craig and I was like, hey, man, like. Oh, because it was Craig. Craig was the culprit. Craig was so the what one was, that, what was yeah, he used to this? So, so was I'm going to, I don't even remember the episode or, but the comment was, so um, I, I'm going to paraphrase as much as I can remember. And it was like, so this one guy, and you all know him. If you hear, if, if I were to say his name, you'd all know who he is. He, he went out and told one of the guys at our mastermind that a one oh, yeah. practice with $4 million of revenue is better than four practices, each with a million dollars in revenue. And I say this all the time. So I'm like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, it was, was it opinion. was, it was like you and a much older podcaster, much, much older has more episodes. Can I give you it? my guess? Yeah, go ahead. I, will I thought it was actually, Paul Goodman. No, nope. no, no. Okay. So much, I much, it was so, Paul so when I say much older, older than me. So it's a guy that uh, has a lot of episodes out there and he has a practice that's very small. So, you know, I think it's interesting when someone pontificates about what's best 
because dentistry, as I always say, is, is, a, is an individual industry that can suit the individual needs of the doctor and the business owner. So it's always do what's right for you. And one thing that drives Peter and I crazy is when people hijack other people's visions and do what they think that mm-hmm. other people are doing for, to suit their own needs. Even moreover, what really upsets me is when someone who's never done something is recommending to do it. That inauthenticity really bothers me. Like, this is what you need to do. Well, look what you do, bro. You don't do that. So that kind of bothers me because it's so, just unfair. And it wasn't Rich, you. Richard is so polite and I'm Mr. Direct, authentic, like confrontational. And um, for me, I'm like, look, if someone's talking shit about me, I'm just going to talk to them and just see oh, like, yeah, me too. I'm hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to shoot him a line. And so yeah. I shot him a message. I was like, I've heard a lot of great things about you. Were you talking about me or not? And if so, I think it'd be a great <laughs> debate because yeah. the thing is like, Peter, what I've heard about you is that you have, this is all I know walking into the episode. You have multiple high-end locations in the Atlanta area. And what I've heard about Craig is that he has a family-owned sort of legacy uh, group of practices that's like a mega office. So far, the largest privately owned dental practice I've heard of. Oh, yeah. There's larger. There's larger. But yes. But the ones I've heard of, it's the largest I've heard of in terms of size. You know, I have no idea what your revenue is. My estimation was roughly 10 million. Yeah. And um, little, you know, little more, but yeah, there's bigger ones than, than us though. There's a guy just, just for point. Um, there's a guy in uh, Ohio, Springfield, Illinois, Ohio. I don't know, yeah, but it's the, massive, the YouTube massive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, is this uh, Dr. Cool? What's his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool looking cool. dude. Yeah. I drove by his practice. It's in Kansas. I thought in Missouri, right? No, it's I, yeah. Springfield. It is. He's on, is it a YouTube? YouTube yes, guy, that's right? right. I went it's on a an airport. Trip. It's the Salt Lake yes. City airport that he. It was meant to be an airport, <laughs> and they just decided to put some operatories in it. Yeah, Doctor O. That's your Doctor yes, O. Yes, that's, that's right. a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him. He yeah, makes so. my office look like I'm running like a, a local Chick Fil A. Well, I saw him do a YouTube video of a a full mouth rehab on cat cam same day. I mean, yeah. That wow. Anyway, so, um, I, I that's all I've heard, and like as somebody who's not accomplished either of those things. You know, I think that it's dentistry is interesting because it's so humbling when you meet people that have accomplished things that are incredibly challenging. And at the same time, we might have different opinions on things, but I felt like the Bulletproof guys are cool and it could lead to a cool discussion um, about maybe some differing viewpoints. And I think that my background is uh, math. So I almost have a minor in math and I entered dentistry with two obsessions, math and basketball. And I, why I have followed the NBA closely since 2010. Like I can tell you trades contracts. Like I've followed the league, uh, the, the management side. And what I've seen is analytics change basketball. And what I've done in my opinion, Moneyball for basketball, right? Yeah. So I'm writing a book right now called dental Moneyball, no and way. it's our oh philosophy. My God. Peter says that all the time, by the way. So we would have been reaching out to you when you published that book. I'd be like, George, what the hell, man? You, you, you took our stuff. Yeah. So I'm already like I'm kidding you, man. With you. I'm kidding. manuscript kidding, man. done into a book called dental Moneyball, where I talk about our philosophy, which is essentially retrofitting practice management to advanced analytics using basketball as an analogy of where I learned the concepts. And that so was sort of give us some more background, George. Because I want to hear because I think you've got a pretty interesting story. Like you, because you didn't graduate dental school, but not a long time ago, right? Like when, like eighteen? How long ago? Eighteen. So yeah, let me give you if I. So let me tell my story. And okay. so I was trying to figure out. I wrote notes on yeah, how yeah. I could concisely tell the story of shared practices. 
um, you know, one thing I've done is I spent a lot of time on clearly communicating to an audience that's never heard of us, right? Because five years we change so rapidly, our audience gets a headache by hearing all this shit that we do. And so um, I went to the U of A and I studied uh, three things. I studied human physiology, I studied molecular and cellular biology, and then I studied um, pretty much math. And and then U of A is a big basketball school. Shout out right now, the number two rated team analytically um, in the country, Arizona Wildcats. So it's, it's happy to have that back. Anyway, um, I, I walked into dental school and Richard, ironically, him and I didn't know each other, but he invited Howard Ferran to speak to us. And you're talking- That was the guy like, I was talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, there you go. I can't, I can't keep I a secret. I love Howard Ferran. I do too. From like a high big picture, like yeah. perspective. But yeah. once he starts talking specifics, him and I can, I, I tend to disagree with a lot of the things he says. Yeah. That was the man I was speaking of. So Howard said something that changed my life. I'm f- three weeks in dental school and he goes, what do you call a dentist that does one or two things right? A millionaire. And it talked to the inefficiency in our industry and how this is not restaurants. This is essentially a bunch of Dennis, who in order to have a seven-figure practice at 67th percentile, that's not that challenging. And he essentially gave the opposite spin of an optimism perspective on the business of dentistry. And that combined with a study that I read talked about how there's an 80-20 rule in medicine and dentistry. And so physicians, 80% of them are specialists, 20% of them are generalists. All legislation, technology, innovations are always going to screw over the 20% minority. Same thing in dentistry. We have 20% specialists that are all fragmented between seven different things, essentially no voice. And so all innovations, changes, all those things are going to screw over specialists over time. And I saw this as a first-year dental student. I was like, all right, screw doing well in school. So I, I optimize practicing as little effort in the didactics of you know, basic sciences and all the shit that you go through. And sorry for the language. If you have to bleep me out a bunch, I'll clean. No, we don't, no, we no, don't. no. Trust me. No, trust okay. me. The f bombs fly. We're Good. explicitly. Okay. I'm just going to be authentic. And yeah, so, please do. Um, we I wrote finished... a book too, by the way. There's probably about 150 f bombs in those. We got a bad review, Peter. Not to hijack your story, George. Yeah, we good. got a bad review in our book. Because of the cursing. Anyway, go ahead, George. So, um, I, I decided to just totally like dedicate my four years of dental school to learning how to get everything right in a dental practice. And I have a very strong right-wrong complex and it comes from my math, right? For me, I believe- You're a scientist, bro. Yeah, I'm a scientist. I believe there's an objective, correct answer to every question. Yeah, I know that. I can tell that about you right away. And so- Scientific as fuck, I get it. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I approached dental practice ownership that way. So I graduated, I bought a practice- and I struggled, struggle bus for a year. Like I was one of those rare dentists that collected over $100,000 a month and lost money. I mean, struggle bus doesn't oh. begin to describe it. Yeah, one year of struggling, that's that you got off easy, brother. So keep going. Um, and then <laughs> I felt like I figured out projections. And I felt like um, I had this shift where I started inputting sort of patient analytics, like how many patients we were seeing that month, what was our fluoride percentage, you know, what was our diagnosis per exam, you know, kind of like started putting in some proactive metrics and started spitting out and predicting my production. And that sort of became the beginning of what's turned into what we call analytics-based practice management, which is essentially we looked at every single, uh, we, we have uh, what we call like a flow chart of all the different operations of a dental practice. And we try to intentionally optimize what process we do um, for an analytical outcome. And um, we've spent a couple years innovating this and practicing, and we have 80 clients now. 
and we sort of test this GP concept. And um, that's sort of the beginning of our consulting arm. And then uh, we then, you know, I think for me, I went to this group practice management seminar and I heard about sort of the consolidation in our industry and I have a strong right, wrong complex. And so naturally I got triggered and um, I, I felt like dentistry needs someone to stand up to some of the things that are happening. Okay, stop what you're doing. The Bulletproof Summit is coming at you June 3rd and 4th at the Grand Hyatt in Nashville. The Grand Hyatt is located in the Gulch, which as most of you know is the best area of Nash Vegas. So we'll be featuring new, never done before Bulletproof tracks for doctors, team, and hygienists. There's going to be some VIP tickets available, but book by May 2nd and you can receive some group discounts for your team. Prices will also go up for the last 50 tickets. And tickets are already half gone for this event, and it will sell out like all previous years. This is the biggest no-brainer in dentistry. If you want to elevate yourself, your team, and your practice, check it out. BulletproofSummit.com. We'll see you there. Let me ask you a question, George, because yeah, I, I, I want to, you know, I'm always about, I'm always about the why. So, you know, yeah. you're going through the how and, and you know, and I, I love that, I, I, you know, we're each unique. Yeah. And right off the bat, I, we are very different. We're very, very different human beings. I, I love what you're saying, and I think it's great. But I, I can't. I, my brain doesn't want to go to efficiency like yours does. Which you're, I respect. You and me are more aligned, George. Yeah. So you're, you're very much like Peter. Please stop me. I love this. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, it's great, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sure that many, you know, many are just like you. But what I want to ask is a very important question for me to understand about you. What is wrong in dentistry? Uh, micro macro. Biggest, what would you like me to address? I want you to talk about the macro. What is wrong? What is the greatest problem in dentistry? If you lack can have of, a magic wand and fix it, what would it be? Lack of emphasis on same store performance. Okay. So do you think that that, if that was fixed, dentistry would be better? Yes. Okay. So what do you believe also, are you, you also, I mean, I just, I'm sure you're aware of this. Are you aware that um, dentistry has amongst the highest rate of suicide, drug addiction, and divorce rate? Correct. Amongst yes. most, and do you believe that same store performance would fix that stuff? Correct. Yes. Okay. So the reason why I said what I said about Howard, and I love Howard. I think Howard's great, <clears throat> and it wasn't a disparaging comment. If you like, go back and listen to it. It was interesting because I think in dentistry, there's a lot of people that will tell you exactly what to do. Oh yeah. Uh, they'll say, this is exactly what you need to do. You need to maximize this. You need to do that. You need to open up five locations. You need to be CEO. You need to hire this company. And I think that is what's wrong with dentistry. I think people, I think dentistry is beautiful because it allows everybody to express their individual needs. It's like rest the restaurant business. Certain restaurants actually Wait, focus Greg, on the- times. You think that you think the big issue is the cut and paste narrative of someone adopting someone else's goals, visions, dreams. Not necessarily. I think the biggest issue in dentistry is people have hij- have had their own beliefs and their missions hijacked. That's my problem. That's my problem. I think there's a lack of fulfillment in dentistry. I don't think it relates to money. Um, obviously there is money problems. I think many dentists are not fit to own their own businesses and we don't get adequate training. So I agree with that idea. And I think there's a need but I, what I experienced is just might be like my specific purview into dentistry because, you know, the Bulletproof thing probably attracts a, a specific audience. What I see is people that are actually doing fairly well or on their way to doing well and feeling burnt out, unfulfilled and disparaged. That's what if I had my magic wand, I'd like to fix that. 
Do I believe that improving same store performance um, is really, really important to fixing that? Absolutely. But I see it as a micro and not a macro. Can I challenge? Please, of course. That's why you're here. So I would argue that, so I have, I live by, so I, I talk about basketball nut. There's a video that um, changed my life, like literally. Uh, it's this guy who was at the Kobe Bryant Skills Academy when Steph Curry was in college. And when Steph Curry played at Davidson, he was like a nobody. And he talked about how impressed he was with Steph Curry, the least notable player at that camp because of his practice habits. And for me, like, you know, I'll double down on process over result. And so I'm going to show you our process of what we do and how it addresses your concern and how I believe it leads to the result that you want. I think we're both on the same page here. So well, our- we're clearly on the same page and that we want to improve our profession. No, and but I just, I think there's also, same outcome, you say. yeah, yeah. Just different I, methodologies. But I also, I, I'm just curious and I want to whittle down and we're just at the surface of it, but I think there might be a life cycle thing. I don't know much about um, the podcast, your audience, but what I, I see, we, we see different life cycles. I'm sure you do as well. And the thing that always drives me batty in, in our own masterminds and stuff like that, because we just got back from a mastermind. We all flew in last night. We're in, in Seattle. I'm sorry, in Salt Lake City rather than Park City. And, and the thing that I saw most readily was people that just don't know where they want to go and they haven't figured it out. And the greatest thing that I think the greatest, the, the worst outcome for somebody is to get everything they ever thought they wanted and still be unfulfilled. And I'm hugely, uh, I'll work my ass off to make sure people understand what they really want. So the re- and getting back kind of full circle, the comment that I heard was a doctor came to see me and like, I want to join Bulletproof, blah, blah, blah. Well, what do you want? I want what you have. Well, why? Because, you know, I heard if you have this many operatories and you know, doing that, you know, you can make that much money passively. And that's what I want to do. And well, why? And I was like, well, you know, just more money. It's going to be amazing. And, and I said, well, do you like being around a lot of people? How's your leadership? All these other questions. And as we whittled it all down, I came to get the sense, and he did too, actually, like, I don't actually want this at all. And I actually think the way dental school set up and the way it's so competitive to get in and the internal competition inside of school, that you just start running because everybody is running around you. And you'll get somewhere, but you won't know where you're going. And, and that's all. I'm, I'm just, and listen, does it all need to Craig, happen? Yes. Can I be really direct? Oh, please. Of course. I think you're making an assumption about us that is inaccurate. We actually address all of your concerns. We don't, we don't pigeonhole people into a process. We have what we call avatars. Okay. And so what we do is we broke down every practice between $0 in revenue and $5 million in revenue. And we have 30 to 40 KPIs that we use to classify. So we have a solo, a productive solo, a super solo. We have a transition to group. We have two different ways to get to a group practice. We have a group practice, a profitable group practice, and a mega group practice. And so all of these are classified by revenue, patient flow, number of hygiene patients per month, number of new patients per month, doctor production per patient, right? And so what we do is we take anybody's practice and we just tell them what they are. And we give them the options of where they can take their practice. It's like a menu. And we do pros and cons, right? This is a lifestyle of this person. This is how many days they work. This is roughly how much they make. And we let them pick whatever the hell they want. And we just have a scientific process to move them through the stages of ownership through an understanding of the process. But we actually don't put a one size fits all. If someone's scheduling system is not a problem, we don't change it. 
And what Can analytics do is, I'm sorry, uh, what, what the numbers really do for us is they show us what's broken and most importantly, what's not. Because I don't care if they're answering the phone in a weird way. If they're converting the proper number of new patients and their phone conversion's good enough, I'm not going to touch that and create un- additional stress. And so we have something that we talk about, which is like disruption and impact. And we always look for high impact, low disruption changes in an office um, that ultimately get what we're looking for. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. And so I think that what the science and the analytics do for us is it gives people a simplification. We have this PSS that we live by. Every change that we do has to be profitable, simple, and sustainable. And sustainability, in my opinion, is one of the most important things in dentistry. And it's something that's a staple to our philosophy. And we don't do anything that we don't feel is sustainable to address your same point about suicide, unhappiness, all of those things. And we're very clear in all of our seminars and all of our talks, money does not make people happy. It amplifies who they are. And we don't try to make people money. We just try to give them ease so that they can focus on the other parts of their life that are not their dental office. That's really what we're about. And I feel the data gives us the roadmap to really just help people create whatever the hell they want with their office. I don't care what they want. So, so let me ask you something, George. So what did you say specifically? Because I was referencing what somebody said that, hey, you want to know what you should do? You should do this. That person came to me with like, I was told by some expert to do this. Obviously, if you thought it was about you, you told some dentist at some point. Mm-hmm. You should do this. So I will me... never say that to somebody without understanding. So what did you know about that person or that environment or that situation that imp- compelled you to say that to that person? I'm going to verbatim something I say in our analytics-based pre-ownership seminar. So we talk about the mega group. So we actually have defined our scope of practice to a solo dentist, to a mega group, and we do not touch multi. I have no passion or interest in helping a dentist with multiple locations. What's your passion wow. around multi, the multi uh, mega? Yeah. What's your, what's let's your... hear the multi mega. What's your passion around the, the multi or the mega group, whatever you call it. Yeah. So we call it a mega group. And our thesis behind this is we feel a dentist is capable of achieving the same level of financial success, a better lifestyle with a higher income as a, a option for an entrepreneurial dentist in mega group ownership. And what we don't choose to do is we don't choose to help them with something that we don't believe in. Right. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying pros, cons, multi-practice ownership is a net worth game, not an income game. Right. But you can achieve the same net worth, higher income. And I think a smoother, like growth trajectory, easier <laughs> lifestyle in a three That's to what five made million me dollar jump on Howard. So when the guy yeah. came to me, I'm like, well, why do you want this? Well, Howard. And I said, well, all due respect, Howard's never done it. So, you know, you're talking about Steph Curry and you're talking about um, Kobe Bryant. Both of them have done it. Yeah. Kobe did it. So what I said about Howard was, how would he know he's not lived it? So there's nuances about the mega group that, frankly, George, you don't know unless there's something that you could tell me that you've done, but you don't understand the doctor dynamics, the team dynamics. I could tell you that for certain people, it will be harder and less profitable to have a mega group. It's just dependent on the individual person, what they love. I work my ass off, but I love what I do. It's just easier for me. There's people that I know in our mastermind that have four and five team members and they're super stressed out. And someone along the way told them they need to have a multi-office or mega group. And they're actually running in that direction. We go through our mastermind process and they're like, oh my God, I don't want to do any of this shit. 
I was actually making more money as a solopreneur when I was doing three days a week at clinical and I had only four assistants or four team members. So that's why I said what I said about Howard. And I guess it, it is relative to you. So I wasn't talking shit, but it is yeah. like, tell me, defend yourself from saying how you know it's going to be more profitable and lead to more fulfillment if you don't know the individual. So using math as a hypothesis, right? Analytics as a hypothesis. So yeah, I science think that, of achievement is there. I, I get the scientific approach to the achievement, but the fulfillment is that art. And I think the reason, in my opinion, respectfully, I just disagree. Um, and I've seen a lot, you know, I've, I'm not trying to pull the, the experience card, but, you know, 23 years of clinical practice and meeting, you know, thousands of dentists and like just querying. It's anecdotal, but like, what do I think is causing this lack of fulfillment? People went to a seminar and didn't do an examination on what they really wanted to said, you know, that's more profitable. I'm going to go do that. And that, that I just think we're doing a disservice to, to people without a deeper inquiry, a, a query into what they want. So I'm taking up a lot of oxygen. Go ahead. So George. I'll, I'll say two things. So one, I mean, we just met, right. And, you know, we don't know each other's breadth of experience and knowledge. And so to say that one is not qualified to speak on something that the other is, I don't think is accurate. Well, right. I read your bio that's on your website, and it says that you, 2018, you took something that went to $1.2 million. So I think that's the scope of which he's talking. And it was Correct. a single, okay. So, so we do know. Well, well in you have 2022, I'll have four entities collecting over $3 million individually. So that, right, I haven't gotten to five. But well, I, I wouldn't between use our number. consulting experience. And- yeah, I wouldn't use the number. I, I think I, I, what I was speaking to is like, there are unique challenges to the group that you advise people on that you just have not seen. Correct. That's all I'm saying. Just like yeah. there's things that you have in your history that I just don't understand. So I, and there's a lot, I mean, just by the way, you came out of the, the gate, you know, rattling off the statistics and the performance and the metrics, your brain works in a unique way, which I appreciate. I like it. But I would say what I'd say to Howard, I'd say to you, what do you think the biggest challenges are in the mega group that you understand it to be? And how did you base that? What, on what information did you gather that? So can I finish sort of my Please? initial yeah. rebuttal? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's the second thing, which is I subscribe to a philosophy, right? I, I got four boys, um, parenting wise. And I subscribe to a philosophy where it's my job to give them information. And I trust that I don't know what's best for anybody, but they know what's best for themselves. And it's up to them to look at the source of information, the quality of experience, the validity of what they're saying. Um, But I view it's my obligation to be extremely authentic with all the information that I have. And so when I speak on something, it's truly my opinion. It's flawed and it has, you know, it's, it's, it's imperfect, right? But I fully trust the audience that they know what's best for them. And I'm not here to make decisions for anybody. And I think that we both, right, you have a view that's slanted. And I have a view that's slanted. And neither of us are dead on. But people should sort of be able to collect all of our views and make whatever decision is appropriate for they them. They don't, though. That is, I think that is the thing that, that happens is that all of a sudden, because you're convincing, George, honestly, listen to you talk. You talk about math and analytics and from our experience and, and you compile it. And then all of a sudden... They get romantic about the idea of maybe what you're talking about. And you're, you're assuming that a dentist can audit what you're saying and be like, yeah, that's not for me because that doesn't happen. And I think so, that's Craig's point. Is it so yeah, that's what I hear. Cut, I hear people. I'm like, how did you of, get, 
how did you get to this so, place where you're unfulfilled? And it always traces back to along the way, someone told me this is the most efficient thing and the most profitable thing. And all I would say is, yes, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't have an opinion. I, I think you have a wonderful opinion, George. And I'm, I'm really happy we're having this conversation because I think this is what's at the crux of what I'm thinking is a problem in dentistry. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, your, your numbers are amazing and God willing, you'll get to a hundred million. I think it's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to be cheering you from the sidelines, no matter what you do. All I'm saying is when I've never done something, this is just my own personal bullshit bias, whatever I'm flawed. Mm. I tell people, Hey, I haven't done it yet. I've never done it. So my opinion as to what could go wrong is these five things. I don't know enough about it. I would say, go talk to that person who's actually done it. I, I really, I, I always do that. You'll hear me say that all the time. So when I, my bias is that you haven't run or uh, had the working experience of the mega group that you classify doctors want to be in. So when they say, hey, George, what's the biggest challenge? Where are you pulling that information from? What, what are you saying the biggest challenge is? Yeah, so this is where we introduce a, a checkpoint. So I think we're saying the same thing differently, honestly, the more I hear us talk about it. Because what we tell people is before you go into multi-practice, we advise that they have the experience of a larger single site where they have an associate and an office manager. That's something we build in as an internal checkpoint so that they know what it's like to hire another dentist. They know what it's like to manage another dentist. They know what it's like to have an office manager and to have an office run when they're not there. And we like for them to practice that in their home court before they go acquire a second practice. Because I think that one thing that commonly happens in multi-practice is somebody is a successful clinician and they think that their success is replicatable when it's yes, due to their own yes, clinical abilities, yes, yes, then they yes. go buy a second practice, yes, right? That's the, com that's the most common pathway. So, they're amazing, iconic producers. They're great in their one environment. So imagine if I had two or three, just for housekeeping issues, if you don't mind, George, what is this? And I keep forgetting, I'm, I'm sorry. What's it called? The mega practice or the multi-practice? Mega group. What is a mega group? What are you, what are you defining? Between three to $5 million in collections. Okay. So it's not about how many doctors are there. No, usually a mega group will cap out at four doctors. Okay. That's when it. we, that's when our scope of practice ends. Okay. So up to four docs and 5 million. Yeah. Got it. Cause I'm thinking just in my head, I was actually thinking bigger than that, but anyway, it doesn't well, really matter. That's where like, you're like, what basis do you have to be speaking on this? And I'm like, well, I kind of feel like I have a so for me, it's well, once... have you let me ask you very directly. Have you ever worked in an office that employed four doctors and did five million dollars? No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But that's where I feel my ability to speak on it ends, because there's always the adjacent experience. Okay, right? so Have you worked in a practice with three doctors and three million dollars, four million dollars? Yes, you know? we have those. in. Yeah. So you you worked in them. And how long have you owned? No, them? not worked in them. Uh, we have. So there's six of us in our company, right? I'm not alone here. And so we share experience, right? So some of us have experience that others don't. So which doctor in this group of doctors that talks to the public has worked in a practice that had three doctors and $4 million or more? So 3 million, Alex Sharp. Okay. So how many doctors in that practice? Three. Okay. So he's got, all I'm going to say is he's got a unique perspective, a very unique perspective. And, I, and I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm really not trying to be, and I think this, this whole dialogue, I really want to say, this is not hard for me. And I hope it's not hard for you. I want you to push back and because you know, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm the kind of the weird guy that enjoys this. Like, I, I am enjoying it too, because it's a really necessary conversation. I have all, mad respect for you, George, and I'm just learning, but, and at the same time, I want to circle back to say that we're both 
trying to advance the profession. Yes. We, I, I know if you had, you, you want to fix dentistry, I want to fix it too. And we may just be working on different parts of it together. Yeah. So let me, so you kind of, you address something that I never really had a chance to share, right? So shared practices is owned equally by six different people. Okay. I didn't know Wait, that. Shared practices, like and the podcast consulting, the whole, everything the whole thing, Got yeah. it. Okay. owned equally by six people. Oh, wow. And we have a seventh, very key person. So her name is Suzanne Rassi. And her experience is, so when we initially kind of hit the money ball, like epiphany, we're like, all right, we need a grown up with experience. And so we went out and hired Suzanne, who, if you know, Mercer advisors. Yeah. So this was Imtiaz Manji. Yeah. Um, she was second in line one. behind him. She was in charge of the 47 in office consultants, that whole thing. And then she became the head of or one of the top practice managed people at Patterson. And then she quit. And yeah. she's our director of coaching. Did she do investment advisory for um, Mercer Advisors as well? Because I know they kind of double dip in the consulting and investment advisory I have space. no idea. I think yeah. she was just on the consulting side. That's okay. my understanding yeah, of it. Yeah. But I we should put a pin that. in that. We should put a pin in that topic too, because I think maybe not us, but there's a lot of people out there that kind of, um, you know, So we'll what I'm saying is we, you know, I think our collective experience is what we advise on. And there's seven people that all have different backgrounds. So Matt Ford, one of our other partners, he has four practices in South Dakota and Minnesota, right? So that's part of our expertise that we advise on. Richard, um, you know, Richard acquired five practices while in the military, right? That's part of our, um, you know, so we all kind of have like our niches, right? And George, and, you guys come together and speak together on the podcast uh, or you, or yeah. there's certain ones that podcast and certain ones that don't No, uh, most of us podcast regularly. We try to each get on about twice a month. And then when we have seminars, our seminars, we like to all be in the room and kind of, we like to have a popcorn style lecture where like when someone has something that they have unique experience on, they step up, even if they're not the speaker and share, because cool. to your point, we you're right. I've never that. done that. I've never done certain things, but I have partners that I trust fully that have, right? And between yeah. all of us, we feel like we share information and we all get, we learn from each other's experience. And so that's a lot of our philosophy. And so, you know, Suzanne has spent a lot of time in those larger offices. And so when we all sat down and we said, what's our scope of practice? What are we comfortable advising? Where does our comfort stop? We all collectively decided that the administrative load of a practice doing over $5 million is where we'd rather they go somewhere else. So to get up to 4.5 to five, we feel like our process is scalable to that level, but then we feel the management challenges of above a $5 million practice is where our expertise stops. And we tell people that at the beginning of our seminar, we say our scope of practice is here. That's where we feel what we say has weight past that. We don't really have anything. And I feel like, you know, you've been trying to get my experience and I'm young um, and it's not my experience. It's ours. Yeah. Well, and I just didn't know that. I mean, I know the name obviously shared practices, but I didn't recognize it was beyond practices. that. But it, but it, but it does, you know, I, and again, I, I understand it better now. So thank you for that. And having said that, I, I don't know the comment that you made. I can only speak to what was said to this guy, but I just thought it's, it's just interesting because I think that um, what this guy was saying, and I'm, I'm taking it away from you, George is if you want the most amount of this, this, and this, and this is what you should do. And the person was speaking from a position of authority and the doctors that we work with in Bulletproof have made the, some of those mistakes. 
and they haven't done the visioneering. So that's why in our pathway, the bulletproof pathway, the very first step is kind of like know thyself. This whole weekend, you know, we brought, you know, 25 doctors to um, Park City and we're sitting in a room locked, you know, locked together for two days and we're working on all these different things. And it always comes down to people didn't really spend the amount of time they needed to figure out what's going to get them to the goalpost, which is happiness, money, happiness, financial freedom, all that stuff. I mean, all the currencies of life. And we're trying to get the people that are far down, of course, correct. And the newbies that are there, we're trying to get them to distill down what it is they want. There's people in that room that were on a trajectory to, you know, acquire their 12th and 15th office. And now they're going to want to do 50. And there's other people that had three that want to go back to one. So we have the systems and pathway to accomplish, accomplish that. I just want to make sure that there's a step introduced in your process as well for the benefit of dentistry. And it sounds like there is where there's a query of like, know thyself. What do you want to really achieve? Like one of the guys in our practice and in our, in our, in our mastermind couldn't get it out. He couldn't work on what it was. He finally, like his whole physiology changed. Like, you know, goddamn, I know exactly what it is. I want to, you know, I want to coach football. It was uh, um, Bonner. He's like, I want to coach football. I want to you know, make $1 million a year. I want to work this many days a week. And we reverse engineered a pathway for him to accomplish that. But like I said, you know, achievement without fulfillment is like the worst thing that could ever happen. And as maybe an older guy, I've seen people that said they wanted all the stuff and they never, they got it and they didn't really want it at the end. So I just think if there's a process in there, then I'm, then I'm totally cool with it. And that's why I kind of said the more aggressive statement to the person that was saying it. I've been I'm glad you clarified, George, honestly, because my impression, honestly, unfounded was that you guys took people kind of dental students and like dentists who were just getting out and help them kind of learn the business of dentistry through, through data. Right. And, yeah, and, that's what we and you're, and you're basically saying, yeah, we do that, but we also take you through higher life cycles than that up to about the mega practice level, which at which point we kind of bow out, which is awesome. I mean, I think that there's a place, awesome. I think there's a place for that. And honestly, given that you don't know Craig and I, like I'm more of the, the, I'll show you the steps and here's the five ways to do it. And here's the analytics. And Craig is more of, so we're an equal balance. Craig is more of the, the unique vision and purpose and gratitude, all the things that kind of balance it out. So he and I kind of balance each other with the way we want to run. And he and I converged a long time ago. Um, and we got to kind of similar points in our, in our, in our growth, if you will, or size or scale doing totally different routes of how, how to get there. And I think that like, you know, there's, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, three people that all have passion for our industry and have achieved individual success, all are saying the same thing in different words, right? Like we're kind of all saying the same thing, right? And I think it's just like Craig is saying that, you know, it's not a one size fits all and we're saying the same thing. I think we're just like, what's the... Um, I, like, think I think we're macro aligned, George. Yeah, I, think we're macro I, agree. Aligned. I think I think our the, the way in which we drive there is is quite different. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but but I right. think that like so Craig's point about multi practice is our sort of we build a stair step and we say just put a pivot point, right? Just get to this point and then make that decision. Because what we see all the time is we see a fourth year dental student says I want to own five practices, mm -hmm. and we like to put the brakes on that person and we say all right, get to this point, yeah. then make that decision again. Yeah, because after this point, you're going to realize a lot of the challenges. But what we always see is someone, they jump quickly to that second. And if, if you ask me, how many practices does the average multi-practice owner own? I say it's between two to three. Yeah, right? And so I don't want them to be in two to three no man's land where they're spending one to two clinical days per week in each office, because that's not happiness. That sucks. And 
Um, or a lot of so, times so we how see this, George, that, that the second and third practice are paid for by the first flagship, which was doing really well. You think you're, you're you think you're uniquely qualified because you did one well to go to two and three, which I see is the case, uh, not the case, I should say, many many times. Yeah. So yeah, I you view... open your first, you do well. You open your second, you do okay. You open your third, it all fails, and you go consult. So <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> uh, geez, um, I feel like I one to two to four practices is what I feel is no man's land. It's where you don't have enough uh, EBITDA to have sufficient infrastructure to yeah. offload enough of the management to make it worthwhile. That's just my opinion. How were you uh, at two to four practices, Pete? Were you feeling like you had a minimum amount of EBITDA to expand, keep going? I mean, he's not right. I think there is a no man's land. Yeah, it's probably in the in the three. So that that aligns with yeah. He kind of feels like a quasi, like all right, what am I doing? Three or or ten kind of thing. So yeah, yeah I think he's right. I think he's right. Um, sorry, George, keep going. No, I mean, I I think I'm done. I mean, I I don't feel like I have anything that's unsaid. Um, but. I think you that, want me to just hit stop recording then? No, I mean, in terms of this topic, <laughs> right, I'm good to move on. Uh, if you guys want to keep roll, rolling. I, with, I uh, do. I do. I get a I lot. Love it. Yeah. I get a lot. Hit me with what you got. So, so um, let me hear like, so as you take these people through, let's just say you have someone that wants to become, what have you done with those people that you've helped grow past 5 million? What do you, where do they go from there? What, what, what do you do with those? How many, first of all, how many of those have you had that you've actually grown? You had to kick out essentially, or say you're, you're beyond our, our, our scope. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're brand new, dude. Like, oh, okay, good. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is good information. Can we go back to the beginning? Do you, still practice, yeah, yeah. Or do you practice or not? Uh, no, I, I clinically stopped August of 2020. Okay, so uh, you graduated in 18 and practiced for... Clinically for two years. Okay, good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know what's or... funny? I find this to, to be... George, tell me, I mean, in your experience too, it'd be valuable to hear this. I see there's two types of, um, like, there are obviously many pathways to go, but I see two kind of dominant trajectories. I see guys out there, guys and gals, who go out of dental school, like really refine their craft. They go into heavy duty, um, continuing education, and they become really, really profitable as providers in their practice you know they go to coice and spear and blah blah blah, learn their own implants and all in four and it becomes very difficult for them to pivot and go into business because maybe they, they produce two or three million with their own hands so that the the replacement value for them is so high and then other people like categories in another place and i know a lot of very successful uh, dental entrepreneurs like you people that even own hundreds of practices and the commonality that i've seen um where they don't actually develop too far clinically. They do two or three or four years, you know, maybe get up to that million and then pivot. Do you see that trend as well? Or do you, do you, do you not see um, those two pathways as being? I've never looked honestly. Um, But we, so our audience is very much younger, right? So when you have a, an audience base, so we actually intentionally do not market uh, because I do not want a cold lead becoming a coaching client. I want someone who has listened to our podcast, adopted our philosophies, is aligned, and then signs up. And so um, we become an echo chamber, right? That's sort of the downside to that. And what we see time and time and time again is the same three or four different clients that onboard, and none of them are the first person you described. you know, we don't have someone that for 20 years has been going to all the continuums. And I mean, that person, even five years, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the older 
the older experienced practitioner has a lot of the same issues with us that you did early, right? Like the, you've never done this, you're young, you know, like, what do you know type stuff? And we, we resonate with the dental student that's inspired by, they remember when they were listening to us and we were in school, you know? And so for us, the class of 2020 was our first big graduating class. Um, 18, we had a big class of listeners. 20 is our biggest. So we are helping people into ownership. I would say over 50% of our clients come through our due diligence service and then become owners on their first day of ownership, become clients. What services is that, George? Uh, we, so we do uh, financial due diligence for like, a, like an accounting firm would, you know, um, to see if a practice is a good buy or not. And that's how we help people to help people vet a practice for Correct. acquisition. Should you buy this or not? Given your vision, is this a good buy? Got it. With honestly a heavy analytics. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are Background. naturally okay. the most analytically driven yeah. that I've heard of that does this. Um, maybe there's someone else out there that I don't know, but um, so like we're young in our yeah. audience, in our client base, in our company ownership, like everything about us is young still. And we will, and I think that's the thing that we try to sandwich the righteousness with humility because like you have to have a fair amount of bravado balls and like some level of arrogance to contradict everyone that has come before you that has accomplished things that are much more impressive than what you've accomplished. Like you have to have a, a fair amount of that sure of yourself. But at the same time, I've learned speed can kill you and you need to also have caution and humility and uh, all of those things um, because I've made a lot of mistakes by thinking I had the right answer before the test and life threw something at me that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and that's, so that's important. That's great. So I think that coming on talking to you guys, right, Craig, you have all of the humility from my standpoint, right? You've accomplished what I haven't, you've accomplished it. You've been doing it for longer. Like you have everything that dentistry is like a symbolic to me is that like, I haven't done this yet, you know? But at the same time, I, I feel we have certain innovations that are new. Oh, and, um, and that's where it's like, it how away. do you marry those two? That's I also hard. want to take it away from you and me too for a second. So when I, when I think about like what I've accomplished, if someone comes to me and says, I want to do exactly what you want to do, I don't necessarily feel that that's good or bad. And I don't really, for me, it was right. For me, it, what's make me, it, it, it's what makes me happy. But um I don't look at my accomplishments as something that people should try to emulate in any fashion. If they wish to do it, you know, I want to help them do it. But, um, you know, I, I think what it is, is not, it's not a personal thing. It's not like, what have you done? Well, look at what I've done. And, you know, I'm not that I, I would never do that because if, if, it, if I had my wishes, I wish you could take dentistry to a place that needs to go. I just think that there's a, there's just a hole in dentistry. And I think we've beat that issue too. So it, you know, can so we go macro for a second? Because we got 10 yeah. minutes left. And I think that you asked me what the issue is with dentistry and we started micro and we've been hammering micro. No, that was macro. I thought. I view that as, I think a, a single private practice owner is a micro issue. Oh, I was going to, we were going to go real micro. Like, why do you think it's 40 KPS and not four? That's where I was going. No, no, no. That would Come not on, be George. I'm bad but I think that if we look at macro, what's happening in our industry right now in terms of a consolidation, in my view, that's what I have the biggest problem with. So Craig, you know, you come from the side of, in your world of dealing directly with private practice owning dentists, you know, um, the suicide and all those substance abuse issues are the most pressing to you. What's most pressing to me is the ethical direction of our industry 
with the highway of uh, index fund money coming into dentistry, right? A hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Short-term so, investment pressure on the you consolidation, know, more consolidation, yes. okay. a lack of long-term vision behind right. short-term decision-making of the companies in dentistry that have the yeah. most financial power. Right. Exactly. Right. That's, and that's where I said, same store growth is what's same store performance is what's totally being neglected. And so someone who has a thousand practices, the emphasis on the operations of each individual one is what's lost in my view. Mm-hmm. And what, so like for me, like, I think I'm like, I'm not just going to bitch about something. Like if I have a problem, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I try to do something. And so I was sitting in the seminar and I heard about this and I heard about what was happening. And I, I just, I got disgusted. And I realized that without a company of financial size, you have no power. And so what we did was we found six, I found the five partners, right? I went and found these guys and I was like, all right, let's just like all put our assets together to have enough EBITDA to go directly to a private healthcare bank that is essentially the same funding source private equity companies use and take advantage of the infrastructure that's been created and essentially have a sustainable source of capital to grow a sizable company without any non-dentist involved. And that's what we've done. So a DDSO, you've essentially started, right? Like a dentist-owned DSO. Yeah, but it's, I think that term dentist-owned DSO is not- Hijacked. Yeah, yeah, that's like a marketing play now that doesn't actually mean Dennis own DSO because what happens is once you have a private equity bite at the Apple, yeah, that's their, that's their DSO now. Right, right. That's now yeah. a private equity backed DSO uh, and a private yeah. equity back has a, a private equity interest and has a short-term financial objective and all of a sudden the dentist purity of it gets, gets totally removed. And so the deal that we have with Citibank is a essentially revolving line of credit. Perfect on a EBITDA. So we have a 3.75 X leverage ratio. So right now as a company, we're at two X. So they give us 1.75 X times our EBITDA as a line of credit. Every six months, it gets reevaluated and they give us more line of credit based on our trailing TTM up to $150 million of exposure. To do what? To help uh, to buy acquire. into other people's practice to help? No, we will this. not acquire. Okay. Okay. I will so, not acquire. So to buy what? 50% buy what? To do what with that but money? Do you see now how that gives me a blank roadmap that I don't have anyone telling me what to do with the company? All we have to do is the six of us have to hit the targets. So long as we hit the targets, we get more money. And I can, I can use that capital on the private practice side or on the DSO side. And so we, we have what we call our DSO, you know, we have, we have groups of practices. We have our legacy offices, and those are the practices that we were wet finger dentists. And we will hold on to them, and we will cherish their tradition, and we're not going to care about the profits of those practices. That's, that's to take care of our patients and our teams. Interesting. I like that. Then we have SP Dental Concepts, and those are all of our new locations. And the idea is we find a void in the dental marketplace that the dental consumer is being neglected in some way. And we, we find a de novo model that addresses that. And so our first successful concept is dent- dentures and implants. And so we essentially take advantage of a market void with the cost of an all-on-four to a dental patient and the process of an all-on-four. And we create a group of practices that does essentially economical all-on-fours. And that's our growth on the debt DSO side. It's something that we ethically can get behind from a dentist. So our, our three barometers are, is this best for a team member? Is this best for a dentist? And is this best for a patient? 
And if we feel that it hits all three, then we are okay expanding and using our skill sets to own those practices. Yeah. So we give all dentists stock. We, we sort of, you know, and we're idealistic and that's okay because we all don't really give a shit about money that much. Like we've already kind of had enough to the point where like, you know, I think the study shows $280,000 a year past that recently. Yeah. um, Yeah. Past that, there's no increase in your happiness. And so for us, you know, we know long-term we'll win. Um, We're not so concerned with short-term. And we set up a sustainable capital source to allow us to remain pure and a voting structure and all of those things. A lot like, you know, like the founding of government, right? There's a lot of the same ideals we used. And so that like, so when you tell me- And we all know how well that works, by the way. I mean- I'm just kidding. I think that the six of us, so we have rules though. Like the six of us, we have rules, no back channeling, communicate to the six of us. Like we have rules of engagement. Yeah. And And look, you can probably get at least 250 years out of this thing before it self-destructs, right? I think we got 10 years of like, we got 10 years. Yeah. Like a country, like 220, 230 years. No, no, no. We've, we've told ourselves we have a 10 year commitment to each other and then then we'll reevaluate after 10 years. And um, we're not really interested in, I think that's what, like, you know, we have a current deal with Citibank that, you know, I think 150 million, we estimate roughly, you know, our, our, our guys have done the projections. We have this consulting firm. And so we got like 10 years to do what we think is best for our industry, to commit to each other, to commit to this project. And then after that, we'll see where life takes us and we'll, we'll see what's next. But I think that for us, dentistry gave us all of like the mentors that we've met dentistry, we have so much passion for dentistry um, that I think we feel we've, we've been lucky enough. I mean, how did we get innovative? It's because we spent all this time talking to all the industry experts on a podcast and we feel an obligation to do something responsible with that. George, is there anything you want to ask us? Like, I feel like we've been yeah. kind of getting your, your narrative and your ideas. Is there anything you want to ask us? Or- yeah. I mean, like, I think that, you know, we can go over, I don't mind if you guys don't mind, but like, I kind of want to hear, you know, I can hear the passion both ways. And it's very clear that we both don't do what we do solely for a monetary reason. And so what I would like to hear from both of you is what gets you up in the morning? What, what, what does the future in dentistry look like for both of you, given your ideals and what matters? That's what I'm most interested in. Yeah. So what gets me up? I I think one of my main purposes, obviously beyond serving my family and, you know, and and my team is, is helping impact other dentists. And I think Craig and I have, we, you know, we say that we've made so many mistakes in dentistry, gone through so many gut punches, ups and downs and valleys that our mission is to kind of help uh, alleviate some of that pain for dentistry. Okay. So that's what gets me up is the impact. Like I left this weekend, George, with 25 dentists and there was probably four in the room that made a course correction or authentic course correction in their life and their career. And to me, like if it had been one, it was worth it. So I, you know, my purpose is to, is to help other dentists through, uh, through the, the micro and macro since we were sort of bringing that up. Um, where I say I am, I do not practice any longer. I stopped practicing. Um, do you miss it? I do. I miss certain things about it. Yes, I do. Um, you know, George, I didn't, I didn't have a very comprehensive career, meaning I only did one thing my entire career. I did, uh, I make fun of myself that I, I did one extraction and I gave that person a dry socket. Mm-hmm. So all I did was cosmetic dentistry my entire career, literally from wow. 2000, 2001 to 2019. That's all I did. Mad respect for a cosmetic so, dentist. Right, thank you. Wow. 
Yeah, I couldn't um, do that. And um, yeah, and I think after a while, I, I got, I couldn't, I had to pick because I got to that size. Like you were saying, I was practicing clinically at the size of three. Um, and I had to, I had to try to, it was a fork in the road. I have a lot of real estate that I was managing at the time. I was like, okay, am I going to practice or am I going to be an entrepreneur? I can't, I can't be, I can't serve both. And so my unique skill set is that I'm, I'm very good at business. And Craig can tell you, like, I'm good with numbers. I'm good with vision. I can see things down the way. And so, yes, I miss it to, to your question, George. I do miss it uh, probably only 10% of the time because then I'll remember those stories of someone being like, you see, right, right. You know, uh, they, they 15 visits or something like, you know, no, right here. You see that? No. I love so, everything except for that right there. Yeah, everything except for that. Yeah. All um, 12 units are great except for this one. Do we one need to show the befores again, Mrs. Jones? <laughs> yeah. Do we need to just- Got to always show the befores. Um, so- that's um that's where I am right now and um you know and I'm I'm really happy with the journey. I think kind of like what you you have done with with your your five buddies, friends, business partners, Craig and I are eventually going to do as well for the same reasons as we want to see dentistry not consolidated into the hands of shitty people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are kind of on the mission to do a bulletproof DSO, but we're very nice. We're very micro with what, what objective we're trying to do, right? Kind of like, kind of like you, you guys are. And I think that's where you take action. You said, look, if I think something's wrong, I take, I'm going to take action. And I feel it's incumbent upon us, given our scope and our influence of what we have now, to kind of do that as opposed to just taking care of ourselves, which we could do very well in, in, our, in our own practices and keep growing you know, and make the money we want. But I think, I think the real impact and influence and happiness comes at scale in our DSO. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Are sure. you willing to alienate part of your audience to set up that DSO? 100%. 100%. Which I so know we, I will. We know and, we have. Yeah. I don't really give a shit because honestly, look, I always say, you know, you're either going to like me or love me, but you got to pick one, right? And you, because you cannot make, if you cannot serve all, all, all people and make everyone happy. Yeah, it's a hyper niche concept too, where the, the, there's a solution. There, there's a buyer for just about every dental practice, except for a certain type. Wait, and, hold on, Craig. You're either gonna like me or hate me is what I meant to say. Not like I know, me. I know, but I like sorry, what you said. I, I was actually gonna use that. You're gonna really like me or just love me. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You gotta take care of yourself, Peter. You gotta stroke your own ego. Thank but you, I think buddy. it's um I think it's important to to note that there, there's a there's a going to be a buyer for just about every type of practice. And we just see some unique areas where there's synergy and um, there's there's an open channel for, if you will. And I think George, the way you described it, you are speaking to an open channel as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy w- about what you're doing and, and, and the philosophy of it. So, um, you know, dentistry is a very broad industry and we need multi, we need a multi-pronged approach to it. So, uh, you know, just like what you're doing, I think, you know, we, we talk about doing the same thing. Um, but I echo Peter's sentiments as well. Like I just love, um, I love, I've gotten my ass kicked so many different ways. I mean, like Peter, 24 years of dentistry, most of it cosmetic. Um, it was hard on me, hard on trying to be an entrepreneur, 10 doctors, you know, 13,000 square feet and seeing patients four days a week. I said, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could just do Invisalign? That seems pretty cool, you know, oh, orthodontist. Yeah. So I transitioned my practice to Invisalign only four days a week. And that was really cool for a while. And I think in, in life, we make these minor course corrections and we mm-hmm. go through periods of fulfillment. And then we like want to add more on our plate or maybe less. So another course, course correction came and I, st- I trimmed my practice down to one day a week. Um, if you told me that I can't go to my practice anymore, I'd feel like I lost a, a portion of my identity. You know, I'm very lucky. I serve patients that are, you know, very well known and influential. And I get a lot of my, my own fulfillment and identity and meaning through this practice. 
So it's very personal to me, much like your legacy practices are. I'm a third generation dentist. And mm-hmm. if you told me I couldn't work here anymore, I would be miserable. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to speak to a different side of the, the audience as well. One that doesn't feel shame for being clinical. Um, you know, there's minor oh, yeah. course, there's minor course corrections that you make, make through life, but, uh, but I'm loving where I am now and I'm loving the journey. I just, my mission is to just pay it forward and all the unique, um, things that I've learned. I just want to share it. So I wish there was somebody like me that I could have met like five or 10 years ago. That would have helped me a lot. So I want to be the leader. I wish I always had. I, I love that last statement you've had. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've asked for a mentor. Like it's kind of hard when you're doing something that's unique to have someone who's done that before and kind of can show you the roadmap of where you wish you had known things and could have prevented a lot of annoying days where, yeah, you know, sure. you were the nail. Some days you're the hammer, others the nail. And, and literally, George, I spent like a decade. I was talking about like I spent a full decade chasing things that were not the right thing because I didn't know. I didn't know what, you know, there was nobody out there that was doing this. So um, I didn't know what I was, what challenges I was trying to solve. And I, and I solved for challenges that never wind up happening and never thought about challenges that I never, um, that, that were coming. So it's it just, it was a difficult path, but it, it led me to where I am now. And it's, I wouldn't change anything. So sure, I'm going to tell you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a walk that I went on. Um, so I, I started, I start I bought my practice in Oct- August and then in October I made, it was the first time I made the amount of money I wanted to make. And I went on a walk with my son. He was 18 months at the time. And at the time, my first wife was pregnant with our second. And it was like Arizona in October is one of the most beautiful places. And I was like, I am so unbelievably unhappy. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, I've accomplished everything I want. I've, I've reached the top of the ladder that I, Mr. Achiever in me had that whole list. And I was like, this current process of attempting to seek happiness is not working. And, um, that was when I started seeing a therapist and I started deconstructing my life and rebuilding it in a different way. And one of the, the, one of the studies I read was the baseline level of happiness. And they, they study this after people retire and there's like this euphoric period. And then there's the return of the baseline level of happiness that they had exactly when they were working. And what I think we're, what we're both talking about is everyone has a a different set of ingredients that leads to the highest baseline level of happiness for them. And for you, it's clinical for Peter and I, maybe it's not. And, um, I think that, you know, we should, as influencers stand up for each dentist's own ingredients that lead to their own baseline level of happiness. Yeah. So hundred percent. And by the way, and and just to add to that, cause that was beautiful. I don't want to change it, but to add to it as well is micro course corrections. Yes. So, you know, you, you hate dentistry. You feel like, Oh, I can't do one more periodic exam. Take a day and do one less clinical. Then mm-hmm. see how that works. Take another day, but sometimes we make such massive course corrections. Screw the practice; it can't handle it. You know, call up Acme yeah. DSO. You're, you're talking to me right now, Mister Macro pen- Pivots. It's the pendulum we always talk about. Yeah, like you know, you get so wound up and I can't do dentistry more day. I'm just going to sell it all, and then you right. swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. Like, and then you wound up equally no, unhappy, but for a different yeah. reason. And I think you know, it's just an important thing to mention now. When you sell your business, and Peter and I talk about this all the time, you're actually going to take that money. And go right back into business, just not your business. Yeah. It's something now different. you're, it's just, this is never, ending. yeah, all, you know, or real estate or whatever. So business, yeah. I just think that if, you know, I could just say one thing to, to add on that's the micro course correction, that's all. So I am 
in full disclosure, one day clinical and it's Invisalign and I love my assistant. I love my team. And it's more about like just being in this environment and seeing all these great patients that are friends of mine. And that just suits my unique personality. It's just, it just works for me. And that's kind of coming full circle to the original comment. Yeah. Craig, Craig is highly social if you can't, if you can pick that up. So he, he need the, uh, the Kumbaya. So, you guys realize that I walked into this episode knowing nothing about either of you. And I likewise, I thought Obviously. I was the most confrontational one here, but I, I don't think I was. Um, I really enjoyed this, though, because it's, it's rare that I get to meet somebody that uh, or two people, honestly, that are as um, passionate about different things. You know, it, it, the passion okay. is rare, I think, in our industry sometimes. I agree, George. I agree. George, where do you guys uh, what you say you have uh, like conferences or summits? Or you call them? Yeah, uh, where do you, um, I don't know if you call them conferences or summits. Yeah, so we currently were. Summits. So we were testing a concept. So this is, this uh-huh. is insane to me. Okay. We saw how much seminars change people's lives because yeah. when you get someone in two days, you have them in a room and you can totally change their mindset. So the point where they leave two days later, they're a completely different person. Love That's that. what I've learned in a seminar. Yeah. And we have our, like, we insist on not providing this information online because we feel it cannot have the same effect on someone else. So we provide our best stuff in a seminar. We try to make it as, affordable as possible and we cannot get people to sign up it's really? shocking well it's the, f- the COVID funny has th- completely changed so, in person so peter yeah i mean yeah I, I don't know what to say to that but i mean whatever whatever's going on pay attention to it because i tell people all the time the consumer will tell you if you're valuable or not so just pay attention to it pivot move it change it that's what i mean so, not that you ask for advice but no, I mean, that's exactly what we've done is we've, we've now we're walking out of our lease. Um, we have grounds to be released from our lease. So we have a March course. And after our March course, we're walking out of our space and uh, we're going to try to maybe figure out what is going to work before we sign another lease and get Wait, into you have a, space. You have a permanent like learning facility for you guys? Yeah, we signed us. We have a hundred, a hundred person lecture hall in Scottsdale, Arizona um, wow. that we 7,000 square feet. Like we spent a lot of time Pete's and money. ask you if the lease is assignable. I'm just going to let you know that's coming out of, I'm kidding with you. Yeah. So no, uh, it was a, uh, we got it on a sublease yeah. and our, our landlords are such assholes that they have now given us grounds to be released. Perfect. And so post March, we're getting released from our lease and um, we're going to go back or we're going to attempt to get released from our lease. Right. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but we feel confident in how our... often were you planning on doing seminars? Dude, we had one scheduled every month for 2021. No way. God, exhausting. Or 2022, okay. 2022. Okay. Sorry. So we've had, we had one in December. We had one in January. I have one in two weeks. I have another one at the end of March and um, well, I'm not going to the one at the end of March it's the office management course. It's more staff. Um, and, and then we had four or five, um, it lined up for the fall. And I mean, like, I can't tell you how much harder it is to sell a ticket for a course than it is to sign someone up for a recurring service that is more expensive on a monthly basis than the course. The course. It's, it, it's, it has totally blown my mind. And that's why we're writing a book now because, we felt a book can have the same life-changing effect on somebody that a course can, but it's $10 and it's more accessible and they can read it from home. And so that was sort of our pivot 
is to provide our mindset, initial introduction to our mindset in the course of a book as opposed to a course, because the course did not work. Um, but Richard and I both, I mean, but mainly Richard feels so strongly in in-person education that we're going to continue to offer them. Yeah, you should. You should. And really we're just going to rent out space for yeah. the day. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the courses are so Im- impactful. I mean, it's, I mean, I was just... willing to do free courses. Yeah. Then no one's going to value that. Right. You I know that was the feedback. Get, I got also, how much money can you, you want to get an iconic location and a great venue and good food. And then we had free courses. Is that where it stops those, the courses, or is there another level where people can engage? Meaning, you know, is that the, so. Oh, like all of our, you know, like any of our product. Yeah. We have tons of products and services. I mean, uh, yeah, we have, we have monthly coaching. We have due diligence. Okay. We have masterminds. Yeah. We got all kinds of that. We got all that okay. stuff. So it basically uh, goes from podcast to then someone coming to your courses. Right. And then they enter into something else typically. Yeah. So yeah. like, I think the idea is right. Everyone has the inverse pyramid the funnel mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. to like the depths of the layers, right? So our, our introduction is our podcast. Now we're adding a layer on top of that, which is like a book slash podcast. And then you have, you know, kind of like different levels of monthly service offerings, depending on different levels of engagement. You've got mastermind only, you've got coaching, you've got mastermind plus coaching, right? And it's like mm-hmm. a menu. Okay. Um, I'm, well, you can tell how little I enjoy selling to dentists. Yeah. I, I feel like if you do something well, and you inform, then it should sell itself. And I choose I not to you. make the content about sales. I so I choose you. not to discuss our like services and all that stuff. Like they can look sure. us up on our website and get all that information. Well, yeah. I, I was asking, you know, yeah, I mean, you asked, I think so. it's good for people to know because if they want to, you know, and, and, and B, I was asking because I was like, you know, I'd really like to, I'd really like to hear these guys in person. I agree. Yeah, that's what I, in person. Hey, I mean, so, look, Dece- February 25th, 26th, if you guys want to come out, I'll comp it right now and we could meet in person and you guys I would love to do it. Can we push it back a little further? I have, some, I have a conflict, but I'd love to do that. We'll do this offline, but I'd love yeah, to yeah. do that. Yeah. Count, count yeah. us in. Where Same are they? The, there was the converse of that, George, if you're not doing anything in June, we typically don't do, we kind of go the opposite way of you. We only do things once a year. Um, we do our big Smart. summits and conferences and, and, yeah. and, you know, not to pour salt in the wound, but they always sell out because of, and I'm not trying to say like, because we only do one, but if you no, this, that, all years, I, I understand I as well. Sell out. I know, yeah, I know. I, this is how we our asshole. first event went. We did that the first event that way, to say and then we pivoted to a monthly format in a tank. Yes, so I would I would extend the same gratitude, uh, extend the same generosity to you that if you can make it, then we'd love to have you because I, I think yeah. I think we all could use some good. I think we all like each other. We all know we're doing good. And I think more exposure for both of our ecosystems is a good thing. And yeah, I, I love meeting people offline that yeah. you hear about online because you realize that we're all people yes. and mm-hmm. we're, you know, like no matter how much anyone's has accomplished or no matter how many followers they have, we all put our shoes on the same way. We're all just humans. And I think it, it removes that barrier and it just kind of, mm-hmm. we're just in person and we can just talk and relate a little bit more effectively sometimes. Yeah. Well um, said. It's actually a common frailties and challenges that bring us closer together and help us help each other out the most. I agree with that. That's awesome. Totally. And I mean, I think it, this, this summit that we have coming up uh, in June in Nashville, we have a track system. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people coming for different reasons, you know, office management and hygiene and stuff like that. But I, I think, uh, I think it'd be really cool to see you see what we do and like mm-hmm. learn a little bit more about you. And there's possibly, you know, ways that we could work together. You know, there's a yeah. perspective that you're bringing that we just don't even, you know, it's just kind of. Well, kind and of I think that there's like the Venn diagram, right? Like we both help the same private practice owning dentists. But in terms of a DSO, it seems like we're both approaching the same problem in two different ways. And we both 
all three of us offer something that the other one doesn't have. And that's um, power. You know, yeah. I mean, what's the point of not sharing and talking and getting to know each other? I don't see the value in that at all. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm glad you. Um, I'm glad you reached out. I'm glad. Aren't you happy that you talked shit about Howard Fran on a podcast? Yeah, this worked out. Really well. this. Yeah, this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's great. Awful. So next, next one's gonna be Howard. Now he's like, "Hey, man, heard you." Yeah. No, he won't be hearing it. He's <laughs> yeah. dude's retired. Is he really? And he's got. And he he's semi-retired. Yeah, he's too busy to do a. Uh, yeah, I mean, to anything else other than his own voice. Have you been in his podcast, George? Have I been on? Yeah. No, 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 no. I yeah, you'll be a guest that. listener. I went on it and I just never got a word in. I was yeah. literally just like. I have was, no desire to be talked to yeah. for an hour and have my name on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got talked to for like 20 minutes of this one. So I appreciate you. <laughs> I liked it though because it was confrontation. I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> it was all good, man. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, there's a lot of really good content in this and I'm happy that our audiences get to learn from it. But um, once again, I think you're, you're doing great things for dentistry. I'm happy our paths intersected and I, I can't wait to meet you in person coming up yeah. soon. Yeah. And then it seems like you guys have a team and we have a podcast team. So let's have the teams connect and then we can simulcast this yeah. so that our audiences cool. can get to know each other at the same time. I think do you have, a hygiene, cool have, do you have a hygiene specific one? Uh, we have a hygiene specific coaching offering, but we don't have a hygiene specific podcast. I was talking about okay. team in terms of podcast production. He's talking about posting the pod, Craig. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, you know, sorry. The thing that happens. Our production. Got to keep it very together. slow for me, George. Craig very slow. The- Craig is just the talent here, and 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 we do. Some Peter, do you do a lot of the back end stuff? Oh, that, do I? He's just the talent. He's my, he's my Tony Robbins of dentistry. <laughs> no, no, please don't say that. That's not. I bring no. him up as. A, I'm like talent. the Tony Roma of dentistry. Oh, yeah. I'm Tony. Hey, Roma. Tony Roma. <laughs> no, that's what Peter looks like. Everybody says Peter looks like Tony, Tony Roma. So, so yeah, I'll, I, I won't get it, Tony Roma. But anyway, no, so no, no, let's okay. just move on. Um, exactly. George, uh, anyway, I really appreciate it, man. This and, was great. And, Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll connect offline about the uh, the uh, the posting. And uh, man, I enjoy. I really enjoy this one for real. Yeah, same. For sure. Same. Thank real you. Real pleasure. Thank you. Take care, guys.